Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the 2023 Big Read podcast, the podcast series all about this year's Purdue English Big Read selection, Julia Level's 2021 adaptation of Monkey King, Journey to the West. I'm Alex Anderson, PhD candidate and assistant director of the Big Read at Purdue, and today I'm joined by three wonderful guests, Jenfen Chen, Fiona Wong, and Devin Lindy. Today's episode is entitled Adapting Monkey King, American-Born Chinese in print and on Disney+, and we'll be discussing Jean Luen Yang's graphic novel, American-Born Chinese, and its recent adaptation as a series on the streaming service, Disney+. Let's get started by allowing our guests to introduce themselves. Jin Fen, would you like to get us started with introductions? Yeah, for sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Jianfen Chen. I am currently an assistant professor in technical communication with the English department at Towson University. Hi, everyone. My name is Fiona. I'm currently a lecturer at NC State University English Department, and I do teach business communications, but my research interests are in second language education, bilingual literature, teacher education program. Yeah, hi, everybody. I'm Devin. I am currently an adjunct lecturer at Purdue in the History Department, and I also picked up a little side gig as an adjunct lecturer in the History Department at IUPUI. My interests include how we use popular culture to teach history, but also my specialties are in legal history, political history, education history. Thanks for introducing yourselves. I'm excited that y'all are here to join us today. To begin our conversation, I'd like to provide a bit of context for the two texts that we'll be discussing today. For those who may not be familiar, American Born Chinese is a 2006 graphic novel authored by Jean Luen Yang and colored by Lark Pin. Yang is a cartoonist, teacher, and MacArthur Fellow who's published quite a bit with Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Dark Horse Comics, and First Second Books. American Born Chinese was a finalist for the 2006 National Book Awards in the category of Young People's Literature and has won multiple awards, including a 2007 Eisner Award, the Publishers Weekly Comics Week Best Comic of the Year, the San Francisco Chronicle Best Book of the Year, the 2006-2007 Best Book Award from the Chinese American Librarians Association, and has been listed as Amazon.com's best graphic novel slash comic of the year for 2006. It's also made the book list top 10 graphic novel for youth, the NPR holiday pick, and time top 10 comic of the year. American Born Chinese was adapted into an eight-episode series for Disney Plus in spring 2023 by Kelvin Yu, who, and I love this, is perhaps most famous for being a producer and writer for the show Bob's Burgers, which has been a popular favorite since its premiere in 2011. Both the graphic novel and the adapted series center around protagonist Jin Wong, an average teenager attempting to balance the social politics of his high school and his home life. This balancing act becomes even more fraught when he meets a new student, Wei Chen, on the first day of school. Jin's budding friendship with Wei Chen, who is actually the son of Sun Wukong, throws him into a whirlwind adventure, introducing him to worlds and characters that he never before knew existed. So, for our guests, what was your introduction to Journey to the West, the source text for both of these adaptations? 
What did you think of it the first time that you read Journey to the West? And what do you think of it now? Journey to the West is one of my favorite fictions or novels when I was a little girl. And at that time, you know, for the traditional Chinese, you were supposed to be very obedient to your parents and be a good girl uh, when you were at school. So for me, the main character, Monkey King, Sun Wukong, um, he's the idol for me. So at that time, I thought, okay, if I would be as powerful as he is, and if I would, you know, say no to some some sort of things I don't want to do, or if I could be, you know, as he is resistant, naughty, and then, but still, I'm so powerful, no one can control me, then I can be the true of myself. Kind of like I have a monkey, you know, at the bottom of my heart. So I wanted to let out. At that time, that was a dream for a little girl. The stereotyping for girl in traditional Chinese family is a little bit different from the type for the boys. For girls, you are more supposed to be, you know, obedient and listen to others. So for now, especially when I read the introduction to the Journey to the West, the translation version, and uh, with my background and education and life experience, I can see more how this is actually related to the social problems and especially it's like a mirror of the injustice and inequities and uh, some sort of things that we see and we don't think that is good for, for people. So yeah, that is my, <laughs> my journey. <laughs> I'm so touched by that notion of a little monkey at the bottom of my heart. And especially in that potentially restrictive environment for you to have seen a troublemaking model. It can be kind of cool to admire, oh, this is someone who does what they want as opposed to trying to live to expectations other people have. So growing up uh, in China, I do have like similar stories because my parents also want me to read it when I was a child. But I do see like it's almost like educational because this book divided into small stories, right? And every story have like different plots and majorly teach you one specific lesson. For example, do not get distracted. Do not be greedy. It's almost like you have to be true to yourself and focus on what is your end goal is. And then there is a is a section that the monkey king killed three people, but they were actually demons. They were bad people. And then Tang Sung blamed on Sun Wukong for making those mistakes, but actually the Sun Wukong ran away from the Tang Sung and then came back teaching us how we need to always respect the Shifu or the older generation. So I feel at the beginning, my parents gave this book to me more of like a educational purposes. Like you can make this mistake, but if you are willing to correct yourself this way, you can be a good person. That's what I see from the past. But right now, when I read it as an adult, I do see there is like a lot of self-discovery, like to understand who I am as this monkey king, like what what do I want to become as a human in this society? And also a lot of teaching about redemptions, like how I can make this better, how I can really achieve my goals. 
It's also the path of enlightenment. Like they said, well, we are going to the West to get the sutras. So it's also the path of enlightenment. So they are going to the West to get the sutras. But in terms of understanding it right now, I think it's the path of enlightenment. Yeah. In stories like Journey to the West, we can see that sometimes the path to enlightenment is full of ups and downs. It's full of shenanigans. I mean, especially if Sun Wukong is involved. Yeah, so this is my first time reading Journey to the West. I'd heard about it before, and going through it this first time for the big read, I was a little bit more analytical with it, I think, because I'd always heard about how it influenced all this other media that I absorbed growing up, you know, Dragon Ball. I really liked the Forbidden Kingdom movie, which it's Jet Li and uh, Jackie Chan, I think, are in it, and I mean, Sun Wukong is in it, he's like one of the key figures in that movie. So going through, I was sort of trying to pick out like seeing where all these influences from Journey to the West have influenced things that I have absorbed today. But in hindsight now, it's almost like it was a relaxing sort of read. Like the journey is not relaxing at all. And I mean, there's a lot of craziness as we've discussed, but there's something sort of relaxing about just sitting back as the reader and going on that journey with Tripitaka, Sun Wukong, Sandy, Pigsy, and everybody. I don't know what made it so relaxing for me exactly, but there's just that idea of kind of traveling and to find the sutras and everything, all these different journeys that they're on. To me, it was very cathartic in a sense. I think maybe that sense of catharsis is one of the keys to Journey to the West's ultimate longevity, right? And especially maybe in the level translation that emphasizes those really short, oftentimes action-packed sections. Whenever I was reading it that first time through, I didn't want to put it down. I kept on wanting to read and read and read and try to find out, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah, the first chapter ends with the line, something like, and if you want to find out what happens to Sun Wukong, you have to keep reading. It's like, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm already there. I'm turning that page. Also, I feel the short stories of, you know, where they encounter different people also helps. It's almost like it's perfect for anything. Like when you want to read it before bed or you want to take a break during your working hours, this book is perfect to everyone. Absolutely. I love that you've brought up that it would make an excellent bedtime story because that definitely reflects Jean Lu and Yang's experience. And he mentions, and I think a forward to Lovell's adaptation, that he has all of these fond memories of his mother telling him stories throughout his childhood, but especially stories that were either taken directly from or were explicitly inspired by Journey to the West which gives us a great opportunity to start talking about Yang's graphic novel, American Born Chinese. Had any of you read American Born Chinese before? Do you think Journey to the West lends itself well to the medium of the graphic novel? I've never read it before. And I honestly, I did not realize it even came out in 2006 until you said it today, Alex. It lends itself to the medium of a graphic novel for sure. You have a wider audience through graphic novel. I mean... You see, I think, pretty easily high school classes reading this, maybe even middle school, potentially. But with like a full-on novel to deal with these complex issues and how a novel might go about doing that, it would be much longer, maybe harder to read. Yeah, I do think the graphic novel medium lends itself some accessibility, perhaps, to younger generations who might be... (laughs) 
a little put off by the length of all of Journey to the West. I mean, Lovell's adaptation is only a small portion of the entire text. Before, I didn't even notice that there's a book, American-born Chinese. And when I told my friend back in China that I am going to do this podcast, she referred to this book to me, you know, kind of like coincidentally. And she's a literature person. She said that you should read The Journey to the West and American-born Chinese hand by hand so that you can see that they have a lot of good connections. And I agree with Devon about the accessibility of the book. And since I am now in the United States, States, and I try to think about how this book would reach out to the audience in America. So I found that the graphic style really helps to reach bigger and wider audience. And especially I like how Jin Lun Yang interweaves some episodes from The Journey to the West into this comic book. So that really helps readers see how Jin Wang is growing and trying to discover his true identity along his journey. I think for me, American-born Chinese does so much work, and this kind of echoes what I think all of you have said about how it updates this centuries-old story and kind of redirects it towards this generation of children who were born to immigrant parents, um, and it kind of relocates it for them. So maybe it gives them kind of like a lifeline to a culture that might not be as easily accessed to them as it had been for previous generations. And to kind of build on what you said there, Alex, the graphic novel also shows that the story of Journey to the West is adaptable and timeless. When you think about those two pieces, I feel there are also a lot of similarities. For example, Wukong in Journey to the West try to figure out who he is, the self-discovery, and here Jane try to figure out what his identity is and then have this self-acceptance of I know who we are and this is what I'm going to do. And it's also like the monkey king in the travel to the West. And also you can see when the monkey king first joined Shifu and then Tang Song, Zhu Jie, the pig, Sha Song, the sand monk, when they joined together, he was the unique one. He was the rebel. So it's almost like Jing, like this cultural assimilation, how he can connect his identity and culture to a broader audience and to relate to their parents. It's almost like those key elements are still here and they are, the teaching are very similar too. Yeah, certain details might be different, but the heart of the message stays the same. Are there any particular scenes from Yang's graphic novel that stand out to you? I just wanted to share a little bit about uh, his cousin. Every time Chinky comes up and uh, visits his school, Chinky is very naughty. I think that it's the idolization of the Sun Wukong, or it's like the real, how Sun Wukong becomes like the human and comes into this real world. But every time when Chinky comes up and Jin was very much like a, uh, annoyed and sometimes terrified and he was afraid of that Chimki is so naughty and is going to make some mess in his environment is trying to refrain from you know having any connection with Chinki. so i feel this could be like his own repression of his real identity as a chinese i uh, for the first time when i came here i wanted to be like uh, i wanted to speak like america and i wanted to 
sort of remove my accent, but I found that I was not able to do that since I am a Chinese and I carry my、uh, Chinese accent. And later, when I found that you got to. Accept yourself, and you are unique, and your identity is unique. It's just about you. So accent is no problem, especially when I was working as a tutor in Purdue Writing Lab, and when we learned about second language acquisition, and when we learned about you know all those theories about how people grow and how people, I mean, immigrants, they accept their the languages, their language heritage, and their identity. I found that it is something you should be proud of. So I think this. Sort of growth journey really touches me a little bit. I think Jen feels some anxiety about being associated with Chenki. Almost like if I'm too nice to him in public, if I seem too supportive of him, if I take care of him a little too well, people will start to equate me with him, and this kind of he's trying to distance himself. I'll say real quick, it's not really it's not a favorite scene. By any means, because it would be strange if it was. But whenever you first see the caricature of Chinky, it's on page forty-eight where they first introduce him, and then it's like page one hundred and ten through one hundred and twenty-one where he goes to school that day, and just seeing the caricature of him and the extreme that it's pushed to. I think that whenever I saw that initially, I did like a nervous laugh of sorts because it's one of those things where it makes you uncomfortable. But that's a good thing, I think, in this context because it makes you confront. You know, I do history, so in my history brain, like I go back and I think, yeah, this was something that people legitimately believed. Some people still, unfortunately, believe that today. Hopefully, not as much, but you still have those sort of microaggressions today. But this is like that extreme of it that you see in history, like early 1900s to mid 1900s or so. And it's not something that I expected initially in the graphic novel. I actually handed it to my brother when I got it in the mail, and he was thumbing through it. He happened to just stop on one of those pages, and he showed me. He's like, "Hey, look!" And I was like, "Whoa." This is this is what's happening in this. But like I said, I think that's a good thing because it makes you confront this horrible history. You know, history and graphic novels. It's not all you know, happy-go-lucky. You deal with powerful issues in it, and the graphic novel does a good job at that. I believe. I think that's a good point about how the medium of the graphic novel lends itself to this two-pronged critique because we can get one message that's being portrayed through the illustrations and through the coloring of the panels, and then we can have the narrative that's being relayed to us through dialogue and narration and other components too. Like you, Devin, my brain just immediately went to those really heinous World War II anti-Japanese propaganda that was circulated. For folks who are not familiar with the graphic novel, the character of Chin Ki is depicted as just those awful stereotypes. He has slits for eyes; his eyes are often not even drawn, and when they are open, they're yellow and pupilless, so that he looks more monstrous than human. Chin Ki is constantly making comments to Danny, who's later revealed to be this alternative version of Jen, that he wants an American girl and he wants to like bind her feet and make her have his children. Just these really heinous. Caricatures. It is shocking, definitely. So, as is perhaps to be expected, there are many differences between Wen Yang's graphic novel and the televised adaptation for Disney Plus. Were there any specific differences that stood out to you? I know that the adapted series has gotten a lot of mixed reviews, and I understand the critique that it's only loosely adapted from the graphic novel, of course. But I think that the message is still similar. What do y'all think? 
Kind of building on what you said there, Alex, I think in a way the TV series adheres a little bit more to Journey to the West than what the graphic novel does. I also liked the TV series a lot. Episodes closer to half an hour. There are some moments in it which you could tell it's a Disney show, not as much as like other shows. It wasn't anything like Hannah Montana, for example, back in the day. But there are a couple of moments where you can tell that it has like a bit of a Disney influence to it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But overall, I enjoyed the TV series a lot. I am very curious to see if a season two is greenlit with that cliffhanger we get at the very end. I'm curious to see what happens and, you know, how are they going to sort of engage with the rest of the material that they have. Fiona, what did you think? Yeah, I believe the Journey to the West has been adapted into like different forms for popular culture. For example, in video games, League of Legends, you have a Wukong and, you know, other other different video games and short talk shows and even like whatever forms to popular culture. So I definitely think the Disney episodes are catered toward their population who background culture will be how I can be is second generation Asian American here understanding myself. I do believe, of course, it's connected to the journey to the West, but there are something might be a little bit different than what I expected. For example, at the beginning, they portrayed the new Moan, the bold demon king, you know, as a bad person. But in fact, he is described as a powerful and honest character sometimes in the travel to the West and also in Asian in Chinese Buddhist culture. Apparently, he's a great sage who pacifies heaven. So, you know, when we see those characters, there definitely are some differences. So I do see those connections over there. It is a little bit corny, to be honest, but it definitely reached the the audience that they want to reach. And it's pretty interesting. The the scene, the shot are pretty cool. Um, and all those fighting scenes, those supernatural power things are well produced. Yeah, the series is definitely action-packed. And it definitely takes a realist slant to the journey to the West and, by extension, the American-born Chinese story. But, of course, that realism is stylistically and, like, narratorily interrupted by these supernatural entities so that it kind of places the audience in the same position as Jin, who's kind of like, what do you mean? There's, like, Chinese mythology all around us. Who are these gods? Who are these demons? Who is good? Who is bad? I could kind of build on that, like I said, and Fiona just said, and Alex, you said, you, you can tell it's a bit of a Disney series. It's episode four, whenever it gives like a bit of a flashback between Bull Demon and Wukong himself, whenever they go and he, you know, becomes the great sage. I thought that stylistically that was a very interesting episode. It gave me that feel, and I've not seen a lot of older Chinese, Japanese films and everything, but it felt like it was shot in similar ways to what those films would have been, like at least the bits that I have seen. I even thought for a moment that it had a bit of a Kill Bill sort of look to it, the way I think it's Quentin Tarantino. The cinematography in that was really well done, I thought, and it sort of has like a multi-level play to it, I guess, because the entire series it's dealing with being born Chinese in America, but then it also has that episode itself, which is like an entire, I mean, can we say like it's a meta commentary maybe on the film industry in a way? 
Yeah, that fourth episode is interesting because the rest of the episodes are presumed to take place in the fictive present, which is Jin's experience at the high school. But that fourth episode is a flashback that, like Devin is saying, is very much shot in that style of the Shaw Brothers Hong Kong epic where there's like text rolling across the screen and the special effects are practical. So King Bull Demon, for example, has obvious prosthetics. He has this like incredible wig. He has this huge bull ring as a septum piercing. And it's supposed to be a little cheesy. I think for like American watchers, it definitely has a little bit of that Quentin Tarantino vibe, just in kind of like the brazen practical effects. But that's really the only scene that seems to be taken explicitly from Journey to the West. Because that episode covers when Sun Wukong and King Bull Demon are trying to enter the Feast of Immortal Peaches. And they're barred from entry because Sun Wukong is not wearing any shoes. And obvious to say, shenanigans ensue. And eventually they make their way into the party. But stylistically, it's very different from the other episodes. Yeah, it is quite interesting because I always like to look at those background information about how those different stuff were produced. You know, Travel to the West was like first written by Wu Chongen in 16th centuries, where China was in the Ming Dynasty. So there are something happening in Ming Dynasty, for example, the Silk Road, where they connect to um, different nations around China, like India, like Middle Asia, to the West side. So that that's where he produced this work by, you know, understanding those different cultures, culture exchange, almost like business exchange, and produce it into small episodes to understand, hey, here is a diversity. I also see like in this show, what are we talking about in the United States is like diverse culture, second generation, whether they fit in, whether there are differences, are there real identities are. So I do think like those differences can be contributed because of the background information of the TV theory and the, the background of the original book itself. As we're putting the graphic novel and the adapted series in conversation with each other, it's clear that Journey to the West has already been and will continue to be adapted into many other mediums and modalities, potentially only gaining in popularity. So maybe as Journey to the West potentially re-enters, at least in the U.S. context, the cultural imagination, are there any other mediums and modalities that you would like to see Journey to the West adapt? Adapted into? Has reading American Born Chinese as a graphic novel or watching it as an adapted series prompted you to think about how else you would like to see this story imagined? I wonder, like, any of you feel curious about those uh, VR, the virtual reality? So, you know, in education settings, we have like when you learn Japanese, they put you with the 3D uh, goggles and then explore Japanese. How about like if? We teach students, maybe uh, teaching Chinese as a second language to put this VR thing in the education mold or like to travel as a monkey king to China. Like maybe it can be a tour for, you know, adults or for seniors who want to travel. I think that would be interesting. 
Yeah, to build on that idea, I really like the innovation Fiona has just made. I'm thinking about, you know, for the journey to the West and also for the graphic novel, American Born Chinese, they share something in common, like it's always about a mission. For example, the journey to the West is, the, you know, they are tasked with the mission to find the scripture and to get the scripture back to China. And I think Jean is also on his own mission. Maybe he's not being aware of that, but he's also on a mission to find himself and to build himself and to, you know, identify with his true self. So building on what Fiona just said, I think maybe Every time when we get students into the VR, the virtual reality, we could do something as an instructor to give them a mission to do something and to discover either themselves or either the beauty of the language or maybe the cultural value or something different from their own value or change their stereotype or ethnocentrism. So I think this is really a pretty good idea since I just taught a unit about intercultural business communication and we talked a lot about about how you should, you know, avoid stereotyping and ethnocentrism and embrace diversity, inclusivity. So I appreciate that Fiona pointed out that. That's really cool. <laughs> this would probably be a little bit ambitious, but to see a play of Journey to the West, maybe that is already a thing. But I mean, you could see like the costume design and how much effort would go into that based off the one episode, at least we saw in the TV series and sort of the creativity that you would get out of that. And then the ambitious part would be while that plays on tour to have each city that the play goes to or is taking place and have different parts of Journey to the West, because obviously you can't do every single adventure, but, you know, different cities have different adventures. So be like a big marketing campaign, perhaps. And then the other idea I thought about was it'd be neat to see a video game of sorts. So I looked it up and I, I completely forgot there's actually a game coming out next year. It's called Black Myth Wukong. It's an action RPG. I don't, there's not too much information out about it right now, I don't think. And then I, it completely skipped my mind. This one video game that I used to play a lot, it's called Warframe, but there's a character you can play as. His name is Wukong and you have different powers. So like you can make the clone of yourself like he does. You can do the cloud walk and you have his staff. So that's already been done in a sense. But it, again, it shows sort of the relevance and the influence of Journey to the West today. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Sun Wukong in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now that Sun Wukong has like kind of entered Disney's imagination. I'm not really sure how that could work, but that could be interesting. I sort of think about how, I don't know how to express this. It's like, it's a little bit, you know, shocking to me since, you know, for the journey to the West, uh, Sun Kong, they were born under his master, Tripitaka. Pisky and Sandy, his colleagues, I don't know if I could call them colleagues, but anyway, <laughs> you know, they went to the West to seek for inspiration and enlightenment from the scripture, you know, from India. So they called it West, though it's West to China, of course. At that time, that is the, the farthest way they can go. And when we go back to this graphic novel, you know, Jin is already in the West to Chinese because America is regarded as the Western world, part of the Western world. But when he is already in the West, and, you know, he still has the connection with the East, 
I mean China. And then the power and the imagination and maybe the inspiration and sometimes even the anxiety at the bottom of his heart from the East is the driven force for him to reconsider himself, to reconsider his identity. So I see this is really fascinating to me. So no matter where you are and what you are doing and how far you want to go, either to the West or to the East, and you are always on the journey to kind of examine, identify, and discover yourself. This is so fascinating to me. And maybe that's at the heart of Journey to the West's consistent popularity across so many cultural contexts and mediums. Maybe it's that message of self-discovery, learning to find ways to connect the past with the present, learning to foster intercultural communication. Maybe that is what is consistently needed and refreshing for audiences. Yes, and uh, again, I think it's linked back to the background at that time in China, the Silk Road, which is started, where different cultures just, you know, flow into China and people see different stuff. So I believe like, you know, self-discovery is always like ongoing topic in human society, no matter whether you are in 16th centuries or at this modern society. Kind of brings us full circle to what Jin Fen was saying at the very beginning about how Journey to the West offers, you know, models of being while still giving you flexibility to map your own desires onto those potential models and acknowledge their flaws. Maybe learn not to roundhouse kick all your enemies to the face, even when you want to. <laughs> yeah, and are also learning from mistakes. Don't be afraid of fixing your mistakes. Always become a better version of yourself. Yeah, it's interesting conversations that I've had with folks who have read Lovell's adaptation of Journey to the West. I feel like we always come back to this question of does Sun Wukong actually change? He attracts so many different monikers. Like some people call him a superhero. Some people call him Kung Fu master. To some people, he's a god. But then the word trickster also often comes up. But in the traditional literary definition of a trickster, that kind of archetype doesn't really change throughout their journey. They go on a journey, but they maintain their major driving forces as a character. But I think that Sun Wukong demonstrates how even, not to say that he starts out as the worst possible version of his character, but does demonstrate how drastic changes can be made across some kind of journey. So I'm curious, do you all think that Sun Wukong actually changes or is he still that same old self-interested immortal king of the monkeys that we met at the beginning of Journey to the West? Sun Wukong definitely changed, become more obedient and following the rules, not only because he wants to change, but also first of all, because of this magic band where when the master would say a scripture and will get tighter on top of his head and then he will have this severe headache that he could not handle. So it's almost like about the motivation, the extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation make him a better version of himself. But I do believe at the beginning, Wukong has a good soul too. For example, he wants to build his mountain. He wants to serve other monkeys, get them more space and more area. So I think like he become more obedient. I think people might have different interpretations about whether they think that Sun Wukong has changed or not. For me, I agree with Fiona that uh, he does become a little bit more obedient than before because of the external forces. I mean, he has to comply 
with the rules and regulations. But I agree with Moore on his own soul. I mean, he has a beautiful soul, and、uh, from the very beginning, he wanted to protect his fellow monkeys, and he he wanted to be eternal because he wanted to be the source that they can depend on, and he fights for them. So for his master Tripitaka, he also you know uses all his. Means and all his powers to protect his master. Even though for sometimes for some episodes the master made a mistake, right? And the master drove him away and misunderstood him, but he still protects him. So I think his consistent, I mean, loyalty to his mission is. Sort of like the beauty of his soul. At the same time, he hates, you know, injustice, and、uh, he hates those wrongdoings, and he's trying his best to fight against them. Even though sometimes he failed, and he has to borrow some forces from the Buddha, from you know Guan Yin. But his intention is always good. So that is the beauty of this character. That is why I would interpret that he never changes, and that's why he is the model that motivates me to find the true self. In my heart, no matter what the external environment changes, and no matter what kind of pressure or something happens around me, guard your own heart and、uh, be kind. I think that is the beauty of himself. A lot of it depends on the, the media that you look at and where he is in that, because a lot of it, like in the Forbidden Kingdom, like I mentioned back at the beginning, he has this playful side. I don't know exactly where he's at in his journey in that movie because he's sort of just a character that's in it. But in the TV series of American-born Chinese, you know Daniel Wu's character, father figure, he's very stern. He has dignity. He's very proper. But at the same time, I could see in the second season, maybe if it gets greenlit, like we said, that maybe Wei Chen needs his help and being proper and you know having dignity isn't working. And Wei Chen, you know, being younger, is able to bring out his father's more trickster side and this playful side of him. And you see some sort of character development there. You know, like. Being proper and everything doesn't always work for you, Dad. You have to be able to have some fun sometimes. Time will tell, I guess. But that's definitely something I could see happening. I think. I just feel you really gotta read the book because you know through those small battles or epic battles, actually with demons and God, Wukong actually become this like more humble. Wukong, where at the beginning he was like, "I can do one hand flip and then I will go this far," but you didn't even go out of the Buddha's palm. And then through those changes, he is the one seeking enlightenment, seeking the justice during the entire journey. So this part, we definitely can see some changes. And this kind of ties with what Fiona says in the graphic novel. You see that Sun Wukong still has that trickster side because he disguises himself as. You know Jin's cousin、uh, Chinky,、uh, so he does have that trickster side in the graphic novel. That concludes our conversation for today. Thank you so much to our fabulous guests, Jin Fen, Fiona, and Devin. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing this topic and these texts with you all. And I know our listeners at home will enjoy hearing your thoughts as well. Oh, thank you. Of course. For the folks at home, if you'd like more information about the Big Read, please visit the Big Read section of the Purdue English Department's website, where you'll find an archive of materials about previous Big Read selections, as well as the schedule for this fall's remaining Big Read events. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, this is Alex Anderson with the Big Read Podcast. Music